Welcome to the podcast of the Sunday morning worship service of the Heartland Church of the Nazarene. We're a community of faith learning to love God and our neighbors as ourselves. Welcome home. All right, uh, today's sermon text is from Genesis 11, 1 through 9. The passage will be on the screen for you, or if you like, please turn to Genesis in your Bible. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. They, uh, then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, so that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. That's the uh, word of the Lord for us today. Thank you, Sam. I think there is an innate drive in all of us that, that has a tendency to kind of want to make a name for ourselves, right? Uh, I, it, and if it's not like this innate drive to, to build something or to make something that, that represents who we are and that, and that will live past our own life, uh, I think it's something that, well, it's part of the, the American air, if you will. It's part of the American story, uh, the American dream, maybe, that you can be absolutely anything that you want to be. So we tell our children, you know, if you want to grow up and be president, you can be a president. Uh, if you want to grow up and be a doctor, you just, you just got to work, work hard enough. Um, and we say, like, you can do all of the things uh, that you can do to make a name for yourself um, in this world. Uh, I think that television shows like uh, American Idol or uh, what are some of the other ones? I can't. The Voice and uh, America's Got Talent. All those things are, well, they feed on our desire to make a name for ourselves. I, now, I, it's been a long time since I've watched any of these shows because generally I despise them uh, because I get really, really embarrassed for other people when they really do, you know, they're bad. So like back at the beginning of American Idol, if you remember the early days of that in the 2000s? Is that what, no, I don't know. Uh, when they would intentionally have people on who were just really, really bad. And, and sometimes for those people who were really, really bad, they would, you would get a backstory, right? And, and the, the whole time as you get through, you're like, this is funny and entertaining and a little sad. And I can't believe you're making... You know, you're taking advantage of these people, but you, you know, you, they don't have a realist, realistic expectation of what's going to happen. They think that they're talented and they're going to make a name for themselves, and so they've thrown themselves into this uh, only maybe to get uh, rejected on, uh, for our entertainment. I'm not judging that. Yeah, I am. Um, 
but maybe for, for some of the more, uh, for some of the more uh, reasonable people, like they have this reasonable chance of making, like they're really, really talented. And, and so maybe we're treated to their backstory too. And, and uh, they're not made fun of necessarily, but we're given this great sob story about all of the things that they've had to overcome and all of the things they have yet to overcome that, that's getting in the way of their desire to be, uh, well, to be famous or to, to make a name for themselves. And, and uh, I think shows like that uh, deliver, right? Um, the very first winner of American Idol, Kelly Clarkson, right? She's still around. I may or may not have had a crush on her at one time. Maybe still do. I don't know. Sorry. No. <laughs> um, but it, I mean, like, it, it delivers. It, it, it promises. Uh, it promises what it gives what it promises. Like the, these people, Kelly Clarkson being uh, one of them, is, has made a name for herself. She continues to sing and be on TV and all of those kinds of things. Uh, and her legacy, uh, like all public performers, good or bad, will kind of live on after, after she's gone. Well, I think that's where our passage picks up today. We've been looking at the book of Genesis, and um, we've, we've not done everything, but we've done creation and the fall and Cain and Abel and the flood story. And uh, so we, we looked at the flood story and the world had become evil and bad and God decides to set a giant reset button and, and wipe everything out except for Noah. His family is good. They, they were faithful and obedient and so God uh, commanded them to build an ark and to gather up a whole bunch of animals and put them in and save them from the, the coming flood. And so Noah does that and he's faithful, uh, continues to be. And the waters rise and the waters go down. And we've also said from the very beginning of this that the book of Genesis and the Bible in particular has a tendency to ask more questions than it provides answers for us. It will be the case today too. We'll, we'll be, hopefully if you're reading this in any kind of way, you'll be, be hit with some questions that I probably won't answer, but I'd love to talk with you about them over a coffee in my favorite Philly's mug. Um, uh, so the water recedes and the ark comes to rest on a mountain. And Noah and his family, uh, they, they go off and <clears throat> God commands them at the very beginning, as soon as they get off of the ark, to go and to be fruitful and multiply. In, in fact, within three times within a very short amount of uh, space after the flood, God commands Noah and his family to be fruitful and to multiply, and they are to go and go around the world and, and uh, spread, spread God's good creation, uh, humanity across the face of the earth. Now, there's more to that story, obviously, but uh, so that's what they do. Noah and his family go out, and, and there's, not a, there's a few hiccups along the way, but in chapter 10, we're given a list of the names of Noah and his family and the nations that become um, from those, uh, eventually, anyway. But we get to um, a particular point where um, being fruitful and multiplied has worked, but, but to a certain extent. Uh, I, I, one of the things I've, I've focused in on this week as I've been, been thinking about this passage is the connection between, um, well, between this story and being fruitful and, and multiplying and what it means to be created in the image of God. Um, if we go back to the, to the beginning of Genesis, we, we confess that 
God creates us in his image, and, and that's so that we can engage in a, in a particular kind of relationship with the God who created us. Um, if, if we're made in the image of God, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, two arms and two legs, but we're able to communicate and, and have a relationship in a way that wouldn't be possible otherwise. Um, it's why, you know, we, uh, we marry people who, well, we marry people and not animals because we're made in the same image and um, we're able to communicate and, and have the same kind of life. So I think that's what it means to be made in the, the image of God. And that image of God was good, right? Until it wasn't when Adam and Eve sinned. But I think that the, the command to Noah as he gets off, saying, you also have been created in the image of God. Uh, things have been bad, but I'm commanding you now to go out and do more than just make babies and children. Uh, that the command to, to Noah and his family is not just to repopulate the world, but to take the image of God that they were created in and to spread that around the world so that humanity can continue to grow and mature and become all that God has hoped and dreamed it would be, but that it would also continue to be whole enough to be in good and right relationship with the God that created it. Does that make sense? Uh, and and we'll, we'll circle back around to that in, in a little bit. I think that's kind of our mandate as well. We're called to be fruitful and multiply, but not just like the Griggs and have six kids, but, but to, to multiply uh, the image of God that's in us, in other folks as well. Well, uh, the passage picks up and um, uh, verse four, we'll pick it up there. Uh, the people around the plain of Shinar, which is likely Babylon, by the way, um, they said, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens let us make a name for ourselves, otherwise we shall be scattered upon the face of the earth. I think this is really, really, really interesting. See, I think what happens is that Noah and his descendants, they, they are fruitful and they multiply, but they don't, they don't go upon the face of the earth kind of like God wants them to go. I, I think God created this entire creation for us to be able to kind of populate and, and where he can be in relationship with us in the midst of our world's great diversity and, and beauty. And yet we find uh, Noah and his descendants kind of all in one spot. And, uh, and they have been fruitful and multiplied, but only to a certain extent. Uh, maybe, too, in, in the same way that they're, they're kind of obsessed not with, uh, well, not with, showing the love of God across the face of the world, uh, but they're concerned more about what, you know, what their legacy will be. Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves. Now, I, I think, and maybe this says something about me, I think the, the people in this story are afraid I think they're afraid that, that they are going to die and be left without a legacy. Uh, th that they have this sense of their own mortality and, and that someday that they know they'll be gone from the face of the earth and nothing will be there to remind anybody that they once existed. They are like all of the contestants on American Idol. Maybe. And, and they're afraid that, that they'll just get scattered and they'll be lost to history and obscurity and it, it, will be, 
It would just be bad. I think they want to make a name for themselves uh, because they're more interested in spreading humanity in their own likeness and image and less interested in spreading humanity made in the image of God. Does that make sense? So uh, God looks down upon, uh, actually, uh, I want to do this. I think, I think what they're engaging in is uh, building monuments, right? Um, I, I think that's what they intend this giant building to be. And if we, uh, if we look at monuments, monuments do exactly what they're hoping to do, right? We know, uh, we know the civilization that created this. This is the ancient, uh, <coughs> ancient Egyptians, right? Perhaps we would not know much about the Egyptians had they not built these great uh, pyramids and these fantastic sculptures out of stone. They have made a name for themselves uh, and their, their culture and their people. Of course, we know uh, this monument pretty well. Um, this monument points to, the, to, to America and our drive to explore and expand and, and to, to find new places and new things. Uh, and then there's this one, relatively new one in Washington, D.C. That's uh, Martin Luther King. And uh, that, that symbolizes and points to not, not just the, the greatness of the person of who Martin Luther King was, but entire movement of, uh, of justice and, and uh, liberation from uh, segregation and, and things like that and, and racism. Um, So I, I think that monuments, let's build a city and a tower that will be a monument to us. It, it points at them and what they want, but it also kind of points past something. I'm trying to, to set up a contrast here between us and being, you know, trying to create things that point to us and our legacy. And being, being created in the image of God which if we allow ourselves to, to live into that reality, we become more and more like Christ, that, that our legacy becomes, well, it becomes that we are pointing always beyond just who we are, but we are pointing always to Christ and what Christ has done and God's hopes and dreams for all of creation. The Lord looks down and he says, look, they are one people and they all have one language. And this is all that, uh, they all have one language, and this only is the beginning of what they will do. Nothing they propose to do will, will now become impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand, uh, they will not understand one another's speech. Just like you can't understand my speech when I read too fast. Um, odd thing, right? Uh, the God looks down and he says, all, these people are all together and they are focused on building a monument to themselves. Um, and, but God, God has, I think, a couple options here. Like, God can just kind of like blow up the tower, right? And that'll be it. Um, maybe God says, I'm, I'm, I'm enough with you guys. I'm just going to destroy you all together and, and start off with some other, some other folks. That's not what God does. God, God is hoping that these folks who are created in his image, will go and be fruitful and multiply over the face of the earth. And they're not doing that. And so he comes down and says, I, I'm going to give you a little bit of a nudge. And, and now we, we could talk a lot about the, the nuances of why God might do this. But this is what I think at the root 
of what's happening. God comes down and he confuses their language so that they can't complete their project. And so that they're forced to move out and around the world, the known world at the time, to spread the image of God across the land. Um, I think, I think, um, well, actually, here we go. One of the times this passage of scripture is read is during Pentecost, uh, the day of Pentecost. Um, And if you'll remember the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, after Jesus has been raised from the dead and ascended to be the heaven, he tells his disciples to stay in Jerusalem and wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so the the disciples are, are in Jerusalem and all of a sudden this mighty rushing wind comes and it propels the disciples out into the the city streets of Jerusalem, and all of the people that are there at that time can hear the message of the gospel in their own language. I think think Pentecost is a reversal of what's happening at Babel. Uh, that, That God is again scattering his message upon the face of the earth, that that what will be made the monuments that will be built will, will focus and point to Christ and what Christ has done rather than uh, to people. And I think this points more, more generally to the, to the sending nature of our God. Um, th- that God is always going and sending. Like that's the, the Spirit's role in general. Excuse me. That it sends out and it proclaims God's goodness and grace and it draws us into relationship with God. And so that is who we are supposed to be as people who are created in the image of God. And I think that from the very beginning, that was God's hope for creation. That we would always be a a people who go out from a central place to be like Christ wherever we are. And that we would be fruitful and multiply, not just in, in creating children, but that we'd be fruitful and multiply in helping other people understand and realize how they are created in the image of God. How much that, that God loves them because, of they, because of they are created that way. How much God loves them even though they are, well, they are not as they should be. They are broken and sinful. I, I think one of the things we talked about in Bible study today was maybe the, the little bit of the context of uh, how the story finally comes together. And it, it probably comes together in a time of exile after Israel is, uh, is scattered, really, and brought together back, back home to, to Israel. Um, you can read that, the, the prophets and I think, I think part of how this passage uh, functioned for them and for us too is that our tendency as humanity, as people, is always to kind of draw together, to consolidate, to make something that reflects us rather than the goodness and, and greatness of God. That's what Israel had, had done. We'll, we'll look at this next week, but that God creates Israel with a mission, with a promise that they will be a blessing to the entire world. And Israel kind of 
forgets about that and, and begins to just consolidate and be, uh, uh, think that God has only come for them. And, and I think maybe today, uh, I think maybe the church has fallen prey to this as well. Uh, that, that sometimes we confuse what God is doing in us with a call to kind of build something that's big and grand and ginormous and that will be a monument to ourselves rather than to pointing uh, to Christ and what Christ has done in our world. I think, well, it's the opposite of what the church is to be. Um, at least far as I understand it, like we gather here so that Christ can work in us, so that Christ can heal us from all of the things that have broken us, uh, so that God's spirit can, can inhabit us and, and make us look more and more like Christ, that we might love like Christ has loved us in this great faithfulness. And that, that we're always then sent out into our world to be fruitful and multiply help others, as I've said, regain that image, to understand their place as beloved creatures of God. I think in, um, I think in our cultural moment, uh, we're, we're in this space that's kind of in between. And it's my favorite word. Uh, there's a word to, to describe this, <clears throat> and I learned it in school. It's liminal. It's a state of being kind of in between two different things. We actually have a Christmas ornament that has this on it. Um, it, it it's a state that where you can't go back to where you were. Um, that the things have changed, uh, so you have to go forward, but you're not yet already over here. You're, you're kind of stuck in between what was and what will be. I think over here, we have the church as wanting to make a name for itself. Um, we want to be big and grand, and, and maybe this is more me as a pastor reflecting on what drives me and, and what God has called me to do. That the focus isn't necessarily on bringing people to Christ, although we might say that, but it's more about growing and becoming large and building a monument for ourselves. And over here we have uh, the fullness of what God wants to do in our world, what God is doing in our world, um, of, of loving the, the broken and the destitute and the hurt. Not being so much caught up in um, petty disputes, but being guided and directed by loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving people in the same way that God has loved us. I think that as a church, we're kind of in the middle. <laughs> Our church, maybe all of churches. That we're, we're in this space that's, that's in between and, and we can choose maybe to go backwards and, and maybe die or we can choose to go forward and to discover what God is calling us to do in a new space. To where what we build here is not a monument to ourselves it doesn't represent everything that we're trying to do, but it represents all of what God is trying to do in our world. I don't know if that makes any sense. Um, but here's, here's, I asked myself this question. I think this is the question for us. 
what does it look like for us to be fruitful and multiply as people who are created in the image and likeness of God here and now? Um, and I've already said, what we build has to, has to point to Christ. And as I was thinking about this question and, and thinking about like, people who embody that for me, I think there is, there is a family and one person in particular who I think embodies this really, really well, and that's, that's Sam, Sam Griggs. Um, and I didn't ask him for this, so sorry. I think that everything that, that Sam and Laura are building in their own life, um, everything that they've been involved with here at Heartland Church over the past 13, 14, 13, 13 years, has been about being fruitful and multiplying, not just by having six kids, but by displaying and living out being what it means to be created in the image of God. Uh, that's loving and caring and faithful and full of kindness and compassion and joy. And we see the image of God that they've been able to fruitful and multiply on the faces of their kids. Uh, we, we see that image of God created in them and, and flourishing as they sit and stand on this front seat and sing with all of their energy and their zest for life. I, 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 what I want us, what I hope, what I think we're called, what I believe we're called to, is that, that we would be the same way. That, that we come here so that we learn how to be people who are created in the image of Christ. And that everything that we do, from our work, to our play, to the children that we have and raise. Oh, one more thing, Sam is going back to, to school. He's doing nursing school. And as I reflected upon him and his journey there, like he's going to go into every hospital room that he goes into, taking with him the image of Christ. And in, and in small ways, he's going to be fruitful and multiply in each and every one of those places and in each and every one of those interactions. I hope, I dream, I long for us to be like that in a, such a significant way that the world around us is transformed that we build something in participation with what God is doing in the world that points not to us. Because if you were to ask Sam and Laura, like they're the most unassuming, they don't want the attention. It's not pointing to them. That what we might do together as the people of God, as the church that calls itself Heartland Church that we might as we go out into our world that we might always represent the image of Christ and that we might help others find that image 
uh, we might be fruitful and multiply in the fullest sense of that phrase. One of the things that we do, um, I think that helps us understand what it means to be made in the image and likeness of God, is that we participate in this, in this meal, the Lord's Supper. Um, we do this partly because, well, Jesus tells us to, and partly because as we prepare to take this, we tell the story of who God is and what God is doing in our world through Jesus. And it grounds us in a very specific way of acting in the world. And that very specific way of acting in the world is one of love and selflessness and self-sacrifice for others, especially for those who are not our friends. Because as the Apostle Paul says that, well, Christ died for everybody, even the enemies. While we were not friends with God, Christ died for us. But it doesn't just tell us who Jesus is. It paints a picture of the hope that we have as well. That we know that, that even, if, even if we live and love as created in the image of God and we're spreading that grace around, sometimes that may, may cause us hardship and trouble. And ultimately, as it does for Jesus, it may, I don't know, may lead to death. Not so much here in America, but... But that this meal, the story it tells says that death and destruction does not win. But at the, at the end, there is resurrection. That death has been defeated in the way that God lives in the world is validated. That kind of selfish love will ultimately, uh, ultimately win the day. Thank you for listening to our Sunday morning worship service. For more information about the Heartland Church of the Nazarene, please visit TakeItToTheHeart.com.